Hello, and welcome to But I'm a Professional. This is a podcast where we learn how to be well while working well. I'm your host, Nancy Elizabeth, and I'm here to help. Come on in. If you're new here, first of all, what took you so long? Uh, Secondly, what we're trying to do here is um, better understand the things that we can control within ourselves that allow us to develop professionally. So whether that means uh, in a progressive sense, like we want to, to climb some sort of greasy pole, that's fine. Or perhaps we recognize that we are missing some foundational things and we want to we want to fill those gaps in. Also fine, too. Um, if you're not new here, welcome back. Good to see you. How's it working for you? Come one, come all. As always, I would like to encourage you, if you find this episode or any others useful, to share the link in any of the socials that you use. Um, also, remember that on Twitter, you can follow me. I am at, but I'm a profesh. And you can always go to my Patreon as well for additional resources that you may find useful in the same arena. And that is uh, www.patreon.com slash Nancy Elizabeth. See you there. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the concept of self-selecting and more importantly, how we can stop it. Um, As always, this episode will be divided roughly into three parts. I'll give you a little bit of background on what I mean by that term, by that phrase. Um, Then we'll have a little discussion on how specifically it relates to um, the the professional uh, side of your life. And then finally, I will give you some um, actionable points that you can take in order to Um, either do or not do the thing that we are discussing. So without further ado, let's talk about this thing, self-selecting. What is it? What does it want? How did it get here? How do we get rid of it? Okay, so when I talk about um, self-selecting, I need you to consider in your life when things, when opportunities arise. Okay, so when something comes up like um, a need or or a shift in your professional life, we often have to respond to that by engaging in some sort of application process. Okay, so often when we think about applying, we think of going after a new job entirely. um, And that's that is a good example. But also sometimes we want to go after promotions or maybe we want to. convince our uh, organization to fund our master's studies or something like that. So some other, it doesn't necessarily have to be job change. It can also be um, opportunities. So something that you have to apply for, yeah? And in during that, that application process, a lot of us will experience fear or doubt and we'll decide before we actually do anything that mm, maybe in fact, we're not the right person for, for the job at hand or for the task at hand, as it were. Um, or, or maybe we, we become over, you know, we become overwhelmed with voices that we're not ready for that level of, of management or leadership. And, and perhaps it's better to stay, stay put where we are 
uh, better the devil that you know than the devil you don't, that sort of thing, right? So that is that is the process of self-selecting that, you know, you think about the application process for whatever the step is, for whatever the shift is, and you, then you talk yourself out of it, even though you, you want to do it ultimately, right? So there's quite a bit of fear around this, this self-selecting uh, phenomenon, okay? And as we've talked about many times on this podcast, fear is, a, is well, it's a funny old emotion, isn't it? It's also, it's very um, useful, but it's also something that our body pumps out um, in ways that it often doesn't, it doesn't need anymore to keep us safe, right? I mean, we've, we've talked, like I said, we've talked in previous episodes about your brain using fear to keep you safe from, from, you know, being eaten by wild animals. And that's how, what it's designed to do. But the, the fear that we currently experience as a, as a human collective, um, it's often more times than not overkill for the relatively safe environments, uh, we, we currently inhabit and navigate. Yeah. So the, the kind of fears that you have, the kind of fears that I have are very, very different from, well, actually, even from our grandparents, right? Never mind from our, our um, ancestors from, from long ago and in a cave somewhere. We fear things that are, that tend to be much more abstract and much harder to spot things like um, performance. Uh, we fear our social status. We also, we fear failure a lot. Um, and interestingly, we also fear success. My God, we're complicated, wouldn't you say? Um, so yeah, that, that fear of success, that's something that I really want to, to narrow in on in this episode, because I think that's key to a lot of the self-selecting that happens. And fear of success more generally is a really, really interesting beast because, you know, if you, if you just, if you, if you don't think too deeply about it, you would, you wouldn't expect, um, an animal like ourselves to, to fear the thing that we're often encouraged to go after, right? Uh, success is, is supposed to be something that, that makes you feel fulfilled and makes you feel happy and makes you feel accomplished and, that you're doing things right. Um, it isn't supposed to be something that makes you feel fearful or afraid. So, you know, perhaps it's the, perhaps it's the responsibility shift that, that drives that fear of success. I mean, I would imagine so. Um, because think about it, if you, if you suddenly take more responsibility on, whether that's in a new role or whether that's just for a time being on a project, for example, you really kind of put yourself out there, right? Like you, if, you know, prior to that, you could complain about certain things because it wasn't your responsibility to see it through, right? But then if you go into that, that level, that next step up, then you become responsible for fixing it. And you can't just complain anymore. When you say things like somebody should do something and then you look around the room and you're like, oh shit, that's me, I gotta do something. So it's, you know, um, there's, there's no one else to blame. Um, what's that phrase that misquoted Shakespeare phrase heavy heavy lies the head heavy lies the head that wears the crown that's not what Shakespeare said or that's not what Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare wrote I can't remember somebody write in stat um, anyway I digress 
the the fear that we have around success is often fueled by that that fear of of responsibility because with um, success comes responsibility. Oh God, is that a Spider Man quote? Um, I mean, another reason that that success is is a bit of an uneasy place for a lot of people to occupy is because it brings a lot of change or it certainly invites a lot of change right and as we've talked about many times in this podcast before change is terrifying to us for a very very long list of reasons um we don't always deal well with change we quite like things that are reliable and dependable and sometimes when we have too much change happening around us it it makes us feel very unsafe and um it feels like there's there's a chaos that we cannot cope with, right? But if we if we sort of get that out of the broad picture, narrow it down a bit more, let's get a more tangible example. Okay, think of people who you know well, perhaps people that you have worked with or currently work with, and they tend to work in ways and they tend to engage in behavior patterns that are you don't think they're terribly skillful. Those behaviors don't really work very well. But also, they know that, right? Um, yet they continue to engage in that way over and over and over. And it's not because they think it's particularly effective. It's just because that's how they know to do things. And that's also a predictable pattern, right? So at least they know, this is back to the devil that you know, right? Like, at least you know that it can only get this much broken or it can only screw up this much, right? And so it's not that their argument is that this is the best way forward. It's just that this is what I know and this is familiar to me and this comforts me. And so I am going to engage. Um, I'm going to continue to engage with this rather than change because change makes me afraid because then something could go really wrong if I started doing something differently. Yeah. So all this to say, our fear of success is often driven actually by a fear of responsibility and fear of change. And those things as well are all sort of, you know, the generating, um, what's a good metaphor, running out of metaphors. There's sort of the the roots that get planted that then turn into um, a self-selecting behavior uh, down the line, or or certainly they they um, play the same tune and you know encourage the same kind of thinking as 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 self-selecting behavior does. So. That's what self-selecting is, and that's um, a lot of the driving force behind it. And we want to think how this affects us professionally, and then also how we can um, prevent the, that negative impact, okay? So let's move on to the professional uh, focus, right? Like how, how does understanding this idea of self-selecting, um, how does that help you function better at work and in, in your professional space? So I suppose really there are two ways that we can think about this um, to help organize it a little bit better. Um, first of all, let's let's think of this from a leadership position or management position, right? So you have some form of say and sway over what happens to other people at work, okay? So if you're in a leadership position, it can be really, really frustrating when you watch people on your team or watch people around you sort of shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to 
um, opportunities arising and them just self-selecting out of it, right? Um, that can be a really uh, frustrating thing to watch, particularly if you do see a lot of potential in people, right? Um, it's also a sort of poison that can get into a team and can turn into a sort of risk-averse, uh, eggshell-walking-on type of vibe in your team, which you you want to avoid generally, right? Um, it's also, I mean, it's it's hard to see hard to see people in your organization work in ways that are really ineffectual um, or, or possibly even uh, working in ways that, that act as a hindrance to, to them or to the, the team or to the work that you're trying to do, right? And a lot of the times when we see that as, especially as managers, we can, we can, um, we can get frustrated and, and call it, just call it, a, you know, a performance issue, right? Which is true in a sense, but, you know, it's not really getting to the root of the problem, is it, right? I mean, let's be honest. If you're managing somebody who is really resistant to, to change, first of all, it is deeply, deeply annoying. I mean, cue everybody telling their stories about the, the person that they have to manage who's just terrified of doing anything different and who says things like, well, I've been doing it the same way for 20 years. I don't see, I don't see why I should change now. We've had seven managers before you showed up, blah, 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 all that kind of thing. So yes. I appreciate that it is frustrating and it is deeply annoying. But, you know, if you can if you can dig deep into yourself in those times of annoyance and frustration, it you will also find that those um those kinds of exchanges are very informative. Yeah. So, you know, if you're if you are interested in improving yourself as a as a manager or a leader, that means being able to to work hard and separate those two trains of thought. Um, the This is really annoying. Oh, there's actually, there's something deeper here or there's something that's that's being unsaid here. So yeah, the hard work of, be, uh, of being able to separate those those two trains of thought and, and then to choose, right? It's a choice to choose to devote more energy and time and conversation um, to what's being, what's not being said. So, you know, is there a fear of success? Is there a fear of responsibility? What's the fear and change? Um, perhaps there's some imposter syndrome cre creeping in there. It's a, a much better way to understand what's holding back the development of this person and then to help them overcome that so that they actually can develop, right? Which is the best case scenario. Um, I mean, we don't want to think anybody's a lost cause, but, you know, we all get one every once in a while, don't we? Let's be honest. So if we want to just adjust our vision for a second and think about the self-selecting phenomenon as, um, you know, from a more individual perspective, and it, this doesn't matter what level of your or, or what stage in your career you're in, um, to, to think about it on a more individual level and less so how it relates to leading um, a group or a team or anything like that. You know, um, as I said off the top, self-selecting doesn't only happen in relation to big changes or, or big shifts in, in job role, title, uh, pay scale, stuff like that. Um, it also happens sometimes when you, when you choose not to put yourself forward to um, lead on a project maybe or... Uh, uh, lead on a working group or or attend some sort of training that's going on 
So think about think of instances where you um, may have been considering applying for something and you sort of get that voice in your head that's saying things like oh I don't know what if it goes wrong what if somebody says no or actually even worse what if they say yes um you know you can feel yourself launching into that space of what ifs what if what if you know and that becomes very paralyzing right um it's I mean I suppose that's that's similar to to the fear response um not fight or flight but uh freeze right so yeah, we are afraid and we choose freeze. Well, I'll just, I'll stay here and I'll keep doing what I'm doing, what I've always done. And hopefully nobody will notice me. So whether you're, whether you're suffering from a self-selecting mindset um, because it is uh, impacting your team or impacting the work that your team is producing, um, or whether you are you are noticing the negative impact of that because um, you know you're missing out on opportunities that um, actually you'd quite like to have. Um, there there are, are several things that you can do to to get past that, right? So let's talk about it in the same way. Let's let's keep it in those two different categories, and hopefully one of them, or maybe both of them, depending on what you're doing will speak to you and your experience yeah okay so let's start off with your favorite topic you <laughs> um let's focus on the individual first um okay so we we want to stop our our participation in this um this tendency right we also want to make sure that we're not confusing ourselves with what it means like if there's if there's something that comes up you know, whether that's a job or um, a leading opportunity, whatever it is. And you are doing a, a fairly good breakdown of pros and cons of going after this thing. Do I have the time? Do I have, you know, is, is this the right time for me? Do I have the wherewithal? Am I actually interested in this? Am I doing this because I think that'll, you know, look good on CV? Is that what I want to devote my time to right now? If you, you know, if you go through that sort of process and it, it turns out that actually, mm, no, nah, this isn't the move right now. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Um, because actually that's very self-reflective and that's having a good, old, honest conversation with yourself, which we are always a fan of. What I'm talking about is when you actually do want to change, you want something to be different, but then you st you get started on the process and you go, you sort of like freeze and, and think, oh God, oh no, what if? Um, because that indicates that, yes, you do actually want something. You do want a different job or you do want a pay rise or you do want an opportunity, but you are taking yourself out of the running because of your own, you know, uh, internal fears are holding you back for some reason. Okay, so so let's not confuse those two. All right. Okay, so with that in mind, let's imagine that there is an opportunity in your professional life. Congratulations. Um, and... During the consideration process, you know you want to do it, but during the process of actually taking the next steps to, to go through with the application, you hear your voices in your head that say things like, oh, I'm not sure I'm the right person for this. Here are some more possibly useful ways that you can respond when you, um, you hear that voice, okay? Do one or all of the following. Number one, apply. Just go for it. Um, 
if you if you're the type of person who sort of gets stuck in your head with the what ifs what if everything goes wrong a therapist I had once was was very good at reminding me that if if I was going to play the what if everything goes wrong game that I should also play the what if everything goes right game right just to keep it in balance so I I encourage you to do the same thing right so if you if you start the application process and you think, oh, God, I'll be so upset if they say no. Well, what if they say yes? Or what if they say, let's have an interview or whatever? Just apply. That's step one. Um, step two, I think, is a, a, a shift in how you see the application process, right? So um, I had a very good manager a few years ago who told me that when you when you are applying for, for jobs and when you're applying for things that require you to reflect and, and um, you know, pull together language that accurately captures the work that you've done and uh, the impact that you've had, that is extraordinarily good practice to, well, first of all, better understand what you are capable of and uh, to indicate, you know, potential for, for the future. Um, but it's also, it's really good practice to sort of, you know, get yourself in order for future opportunities that come up, right? Because then you then have that to, to build upon in the future, you know, whether this, this particular opportunity works out or not, that's sort of beside the point, right? You still, you've, you've done the work of that application process. So you have these things available to you um, uh, in the future when other things pop up. And that's really, really helpful. So yeah, try to try to see uh, application processes uh, as really, really useful practice and really, really useful um, uh, producing really useful things that you can you can use in other areas and other times. Yeah. Um, so we want to apply. We want to see the application process as something uh, more useful and not just the ultimate goal of being quote successful end quote whatever that is. Um, Number three, I think bear in mind, especially if this is re going for a job, bear in mind how we all often write role profiles. I mean, I don't know if you've written any, but in my experience, writing role profiles, you basically write down what you want uh, from the perfect candidate, right? And so that person isn't really a person. It's just, you know, all the stuff that they would have in order to sort of sail through and be perfect. But that doesn't mean that if you don't have every single last thing that you cannot be successful. It just means that if I didn't actually want to do that much work investigating whether or not this person would be successful, then here's what they would have, right? I mean, also some company, I mean, some people who who write those things have like, I don't know, they want to make it sound good. They want to make the, the organization sound impressive. They want to make the team sound impressive. They, well, I don't know, have space to fill, Um there, there are a lot of reasons that there are things on that list that are a bit, you know, let's say they're not um, uh, required, they're more desired. Yeah. So, so bear that in mind uh, when you're, when you're applying for, for these sorts of things as well. Um, I think I've referenced a study before that said, God, I must look this up. Um, it said that women tend to um, apply for jobs that they have 100% of the requirements for and men tend to apply for ones that have way lower, but like shockingly lower, like 60 or 70% or something. I got to find that study. I'll put it in the notes when I find it. Okay. So yeah, remember that applications are, you know, might 
uh, might have a long list of criteria because they're trying to keep applications down to a more manageable um, sum, or, you know, they're trying to, I don't know, uh, portray the perfect candidate. You, you don't necessarily need to tick every box and you don't need to, to you know, be every single thing that's on that, that piece of paper, right? So be aware of that. Don't feel like an imposter. Um, and well, speaking of, that's the last thing I would say. Be just be aware of how imposter syndrome has an impact on all of us at different different you know times of our our lives and our careers. Um, it isn't a thing that you have or you don't have. It you know pops up every once in a while when you get that voice in your head, like um, you know, sort of telling you that you're you are where you are because of circumstance or because of accident or because of somebody's goodwill towards you, something like that, and not because they you know, not because you've worked hard to earn it or because you have the qualifications necessary or the know-how or the skill set or whatever the case may be, you know, that, that voice comes into our head, um, off and on, you know, more than you would think. It's not just you. And so I think it's important for us as individuals to be aware of that and to be aware of how that impacts your perception of self, right? So it's not to say that you're, you're trying to eradicate it because I'm not even sure that's possible, but just, understanding that when you see it and not letting it frighten you into doing something that or not doing something that in actual fact you do want to to, to go after okay so don't let imposter syndrome uh hold you back yeah um coincidentally if you'd like to learn more about imposter syndrome i did a whole episode on it um so you can click back and take a listen to that um also there are a lot of really useful resources in the the notes that I have for that show as well available on patreon.com slash Nancy Elizabeth okay so we've talked about the um individual angle so let's talk about the leadership and the team angle uh in the what do I do's so I think here we want to shift a little bit um because when we're in these leadership positions we we you know we usually wish to to um to lessen to mitigate factors which are uh which will lead eventually to our teams um engaging in self-selecting habits um and we would much rather spend that energy on fostering uh a more shall we say positive relationship with with uh um engaging in change and taking on responsibilities and those types of things so so let's try to focus on that more specifically because i think that's foundational in avoiding uh avoiding running into these problems in the future um so speaking of responsibility first i mean obviously you always want to lead by example um and you want to engage in working practices that, you know, exemplify you taking responsibility and demonstrating your accountability and stuff like that. But but beyond just exemplifying it in your actions, I think it is also really important to verbalize it, okay? Especially if you are working with people who um, there's a cultural shift or, or uh, like an organizational cultural shift there or a generational shift there, whereby I think... I think we get into a lot of troubled areas when we are assuming that that people are picking up what we're putting out there. Um, and so it's often it's often in, important to to verbalize what we're doing or, or to indicate it more clearly uh, rather than assume it's just being absorbed. Yeah. 
Um, so you want to make sure that you're leading by example, and you want to make sure that you are holding yourself to, uh, sorry, holding yourself accountable. But you're, you know, alongside that, make sure that that you are uh, clear on that's what's happening, right? Just so everybody knows what that looks like, and everybody can identify that good example, and then and then follow your lead, yeah. Um, on that note of accountability, I think also it is extraordinarily important to learn the difference between holding people accountable versus uh, being punitive. Yeah, um, you know the pointing at mistakes and punishing people and stuff like that. That's not accountability. You know, beyond that, um, it, it's good you have to hold yourself accountable too, and learn how to do that with others in a way that essentially allows them to make mistakes in the best way possible, right? You want to take all those steps that, um, that, that we always come across when, when we, you know, do a, a workshop on, on being accountable, um, having expectations with a huge amounts of clarity around them, having how to's, uh, um, your, your plan on how you're going to meet those expectations developed with the team, not, you know, sort of hand it top down, all that kind of thing. You want to have follow through, you want to have follow up, da, 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 da. Yeah. You, you want to make sure that you're engaging in holding your team accountable and yourself and exemplifying that and being consistent with that. Because as I said, that is the best way in which people can make mistakes and take that fear away from it. I mean, you certainly don't want people making mistakes and hiding them from you, right? Um, because that's just it. You're, they're going to make mistakes. People, everybody's going to make mistakes. So you want to make sure that you are using them to your advantage, not, um, you know, punishing them to everyone's detriment. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really key in uh, mitigating the fear that people have around responsibility and around uh, the things that come out of that in case things go sideways. Yeah. Um, I would also say as a leader, it's really important to be a little bit more intentional with your responsibility distribution. Um, squeaky, squeaky wheels get in the grease is a common phenomenon. And it might be the case that uh, your leadership will improve if you are a little bit more intentional in handing out responsibility to people who don't always have a squeaky wheel, if you know what I mean. Do I know what I mean? Does anybody know what I mean? Call in if you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, um, and not just always letting it be an organic process and not always letting, you know, the the person who's who's super keen on the team go for everything because well first of all they're probably going to burn themselves out but secondly it's it's not the case that everybody functions in the same way and that's great you actually want to encourage that diversity however again to get people further away from the fear around taking on responsibility and screwing up um, that that will also come down to the opportunity to be able to engage in that process right and similarly to what i said before around um you know, taking responsibility and, and demonstrating accountability and identifying, verbalizing and identifying that the same thing here that, you know, using language that supports your intention. And don't misunderstand. I don't mean like, well, Sarah here, she never says anything. Let's give her something to do. Uh, good luck, Sarah. Uh, not that. Um, but when you're having a one-to-one -one with this uh, quiet individual, 
saying things about um, how you've noticed they have an interest in X and you thought they would be very good because of Y. And why don't we, uh, why don't you think about it and we'll come back together to discuss uh, this at a later date. Da, da, da. You know, that intentionality of um, I have noticed skills, I have noticed the work that you're doing, I've noticed the interest that you have, I am a leader who notices things. That's, that's what I'm talking about, okay? The other thing is, I think it's really important to better understand the the fear that we that us humans have around um not only taking on responsibility and not only having success but also the fear of change okay and i mean that in the sense that it it makes people uncomfortable because that might be the only bit of control that they feel they have in their in in the job and in the organization um it's also, it might be the case that sometimes that, that thing I said before, where I sort of, you know, poking fun at the type of employees who say things like, I've been doing the same thing for 20 years and, you know, you're the seventh manager to come through here to try to change. There's, a, there's like a, you know, there's a whisper of something else in there because a lot of the times some of the models that we that we put into place for um, like year on year growth and the things that we pursue when it comes to uh, performance management, it does heavily rely on, oh, change is good. We need to see change all the time, which is not necessarily always the case. Like you don't need to change everything all the time. And sometimes that can cause quite a bit of upheaval. And it's, it's very hard to have long term plans if that's what you're always at. So I'm not, you know, this isn't a, a very binary, this is good, this is bad. No, it's just better understanding um, the different factors and the different um, experiences that lead some of some of the team to think that change is ultimately either an annoyance or, or um, something that they don't necessarily at face value take to be a good thing. Perhaps they are a little bit sick of all the change all the time, right? So I think, yeah, I think it's really key if you if you come up against um, a lot of negative resistance, any kind of change, consider why that's there, right? And and also you don't need to leave yourself in the dark. You can you know fully have conversations with people about that. And why why what it is that they find troubling or disquieting or whatever about it? Yeah. Um, the final thing I would I would say as as far as you know thinking of this from a a um, team perspective is being more consistent in asking after your team's professional development. So not just the once a year end of year uh, performance review, but more so being aware of um, areas of interest that they have. Um, particular sets of skills at the risk of quoting Liam Neeson, um, skill sets that they have that they want to continue to hone or ones that they don't have that they want to get, just essentially better understanding uh, the, the, the wants, needs, and interests so that you, you can when you do make the intentional responsibility distribution or when you do have the conversations around fear of success or change or 
any sort of any of those kinds of things that we've been talking about today, that you're doing it in a way that's much more informed and knowledgeable, right? Because it is very hard to understand people when the only real uh, exchanges you have around their professional development is once a year. That's just not good enough, right? So yeah, I would say, um, again, be more intentional in sowing that throughout the year uh, a, a lot more and, and putting, making time for it and, and devoting energy to it as well, right? So I think I've said enough and I think you've listened enough. I want to thank you very much for tuning in today. As always, ladies, gentlemen, everybody in between. Uh, I hope you have found this episode on self-selecting and how to stop it. I hope you have found it informative, uh, useful, and I do hope that you will share it with somebody else. Um, as always, you can get more resources and you can interact with me on Twitter at but I'm a profesh or likewise uh, at Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Nancy Elizabeth. I hope you have a non-self-selecting day and we'll see you again next time. Goodbye. Um, hi there, me again. Quick note, upon further investigation, i.e. going to Wikipedia, the quote from Shakespeare is actually uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. I knew that wasn't right. Anyway, if you want to read the entire play, it's Henry IV. It's in part two from Act 3, Scene 1. So yeah, good luck with that. Good luck traversing Shakespeare. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs>